Well, again, I greet you from Lake Champion, New York. Uh, more than half of us are, are right now worshiping as we are worshiping. Uh, and we are actually going to be looking at the same text of Scripture. And I'm going to try to also weave in some of the, the themes that we've talked about uh, this weekend as well, that you might be more familiar with that as well. But it is, it is a great privilege. Um, it was a great privilege to be up there with them. It's, uh, it's just an amazing facility. I think the best I've ever seen in my life. It's just incredible for kids. And uh, it's a, a young life camp, if you didn't know that. And, and so uh, we're really uh, excited for them. And yet, I know you're here for whatever reasons, and, and God's here with you too. So that's good. Um, and I want to uh, begin by just reminding you a little bit of what you heard last Sunday, if you were here. Uh, it's the point that J.I. Packer makes about the Christian life. And he says this, and I quote, Our first point about adoption is that it is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. When I read that and heard that, that was stunning, because I think of justification as sort of the the, the, the core of, of salvation for us. Um, but it's true. It's really true if you stop to think about it. Um, this idea of adoption, this idea of being sons and daughters of God, it it's truly permeates everything in Scripture. I mean, how are we asked to pray? We're to pray our Father who art in heaven. You know, you think about Israel, who was called the Son, the son of God. The word Israel literally means Son of God. I don't know if you knew that. It, there's this incredible uh, uh, corpus of material that, that engages us as children of God. And so he's really got a point there, that, that when you stop and think about it, when we, when we think of our sin, when we think of our fall, we, we lost that relationship with God. It's like we ran away from home. And what it means to be a Christian is to be restored to that relationship. And so in that sense, Packer will go on to say this. He says, our second point about adoption is that the entire Christian life has to be understood in terms of it. Sonship must be the controlling thought, the normative category, if you like, at every point of our life. Now, to help you think about that, something that's become more and more uh, I don't want to say the word popular, but useful, has been what's described as narrative therapy. Maybe you know that term, you understand what that is, but, but very briefly, it's this idea of, of we all have a story. And in that story is embedded an identity. How you think of yourself, who you are to yourself, and at the core of that, often that narrative is the relationship you have with your father and your mother, where that narrative all begins. And the kinds of, of perceptions you have about yourself and about life that are, that are derived from your father and mother. It's at, a, it's at the core of your being. I mean, I don't want to get personal and existential, but I, I have, uh, as I've thought and reflected, especially recently about my life, it's, it's, it's really significant how, um, how, how my relationship with my father and my mother have had such a normative and determinative impact upon my life. Um, in some ways that, that I've had to rethink, honestly. Um, you know, you're, and, and so when you stop to think about this idea of identity and the relationship that it, it, we have in this identity and how we act out of that identity, if you have a, a low self-esteem, 
let's say, um, you're going to act out of that identity in all sorts of ways. Uh, you perhaps will, will always be defensive, always trying to justify yourself to others as you try to survive in this identity of yours. Uh, perhaps you will always think others are better or smarter or whatever than you. And, and so then, therefore, ironically, when you do have gifts and strengths, uh, and others demonstrate that they are not in those areas of strengths or gifts, the ironic sort of response to that is that you, you judge them as being unloving or lazy or, in other words, it can actually be in an alternate way. You see, I'm just trying to explore for you a little bit the ways in which who we think of ourselves, how we think of ourselves, how that impacts our world and our life. Think about how we perceive the world as from what we and how we relate to our world. And if there is a higher being, how we relate to that higher being. And so you see this issue of adoption gets at the core of just who are we in relationship to God. That's very significant. And so we come to this passage that that wants us to consider then what does it mean to live life in the spirit of of adoption. It's not accidental that Paul uh, makes this correlation. You may remember, as I alluded already in my prayer this morning, that, that when Jesus was leaving, of, of great concern to him was that we would then feel abandoned. And he says to us, now, don't worry. Uh, I'm not abandoning you. God's not abandoning you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, he says. For I send the Holy Spirit. There's some correlation here, theologically and mystically, between the Spirit of God dwelling in us and therefore how that transforms our own sense of identity, of who we are as now the sons of God. It's, it's, it's clear to me in, some, in a certain sense, even if metaphorically only, uh, what Paul is saying, and I think it would be to you, For clearly, as I live my life, and I see it all over the place, the spirit of my father, now deceased, lives on in me. It's there. You know, we were sharing uh, yesterday around, uh, we had a breakout group, and we were talking, and and one of the questions that we wanted to to consider was, well, how has, uh, as you think about yourself, how has, has your identity been affected by your father or mother? And it was very interesting, you know, as I thought about that. I mean, on the positive side, I didn't share the negative side, and I won't now. I don't think it'd be uh, helpful for you to, to know that. But, but, um, but there is a deep negative aspect of it as well. But on the positive side, I just, most people who know me know that I'm a pretty positive person, that I just love life, and I can't get enough of it. I mean, my, I can't ever remember a time when I ever heard my father or mother be negative, Honestly, I hardly can ever remember a time where the food that they ate that day was the best food they ever put in their mouth. And uh, the experience, now that's a positive kind of thing. And, and the way that shapes the way I relate to the world, to see the world in a positive way, to see the world that, that is something to go and engage, not to be afraid of, and on it goes. You see, that's just a micro, and I know you have those same kind of stories. That's your narrative, how your life lives out your relationship, say, to the world. 
and how you see yourself and your identity in that. Well, this is a lot of uh, psycho mumbo jumbo maybe to you, but, but the point I'm trying to make is, is very simple. That, that we are, we live what we believe ourselves to be in terms of who we are. And Paul wants us to understand that if you understood who you are as a Christian, one who is a son or daughter of God, think about that for a moment. How then would that shape your perception of life and how you live your life? And on it goes. Well, I'm going to tell you how it's going to conclude. It's going to conclude in chapter 8 and verse 37 when he says, In all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is an incredibly impactful statement a conclusion logically from the very things that Paul has said in chapter 8 about our adoption, about our being sons and daughters of God. And so very briefly, let's consider uh, what we have here. And before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible passage and this incredible privilege that we are the sons and daughters of God. And help us now to think seriously about that and how that would rewrite perhaps our narratives, our life, how we even to go back to our very beginnings and to uh, consider how we took from our upbringing a certain kind of an identity. And we thank you for that. And whatever good and common graces that our parents gave to us, we we are grateful. And yet we know, Lord, that that in many ways we we also need to, to rewrite the narrative as according to your word. It's according to what you tell us we are. And so help us to rewrite that narrative today, we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, again, the, the, the passage begins, you might have heard it, uh, but if you listen carefully, it all begins with this incredible benefit of, of putting our hope and faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins and, and how that even faith enters us into a new relationship with God, now not as orphans, but as sons and daughters of God. And it's it's throughout the passage uh, connected to this work of the Spirit, a Spirit that we're told lives within us, that, that we are now walking, that is to say we are living life according to the, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What does it mean? Well, to be sure, it can mean according to the things that the Holy Spirit does on our behalf. So walk in reliance upon the Holy Spirit. I think that's often how we think about it. But but Paul takes it deeper. Um, He's not just going to describe to you all the the, the ways the Holy Spirit, uh, in effect, serves us and and continues to work salvation in our lives. But he is going to talk about, at the very root of this relationship, it means a new identity. A new identity in relation to God that we have by the Holy Spirit. Again, remembering John's gospel. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you by the Holy Spirit. We live as sons and daughters to God. And it's going to be contrasted here as with, not as a servant. Not as a slave. Not as 
an employee. That's a very different kind of relationship to God. And as sons and daughters. And so the contrast is given to us in verse 12 through 17, moving pretty quickly through the passage, uh, because I do want to get at some important things. It says in verse 14, again, let me read it again. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, Paul wants us to consider life as from the vantage point of being sons and daughters versus servants or employees. It would be a nice translation, I think, or transliteration today um, in the way that we understand that term in his day. That is to say, and he mentions particularly how it changes our outlook on life and our outlook with God, how it, it moves us from fear to hope. And he spends quite a bit of time on that. This idea of fearing, God's condemnation, God's rejection, being orphaned, being alienated. And you think, well, I don't really think about that much. Really? I mean, what happens when things happen in your life and, and it's, it's, it is not positive, it's negative? Don't we almost always go to that kind of uh, knee-jerk reaction, where's God? Think about the question. Where's God? Well, we're feeling he's not with us. He's absent. We're orphans. And that immediately sends us into a spiral as to how we respond to that situation. Not as a situation that's under control, but a situation that is out of control, that I've got to somehow control. That's huge. I'm just reminded, I hadn't thought about it, but um, it wasn't long ago that my daughter and her, she took, she had a friend, a college friend, come up to uh, our, our place up in the Adirondacks, which is a big piece of land, basically. And, um, and they were out on the ATV and, and uh, having fun, and I'm over there doing a little project, that's kind of what I do, and, and um, all of a sudden I look down the road and I hear the two come, and they, you know, they have this kind of look to their face, and they're doing this, you know, plodding down, and, and, and you know, just dejected kind of thing. And, um, and, they, and I'm going, oh, God, what happened? What happened? I, I, the ATV's not there. What they do? They run it over a cliff. What happened here? And they walk up, and, you know, they have that kind of doggish uh, look to them, and they say, you know, Anna goes, uh, Dad, uh, uh, we, we kind of messed up here. Uh, we, we, we crashed the, the ATV, and, and it's stuck in a big hole, and blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay, and I'm trying to, you know, do this, you know, and bite my tongue. And, and so I said, okay, let's go walk down there and see what's, what's going on, and and we walked, so I start walking, and they, they didn't want to walk beside me. They didn't want to walk in front of me. They want to get behind me. They didn't want to be in my, in my sight, I guess. I don't know. But they're walking behind me, and I heard Anna's friend say to Anna, this all feels so familiar. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I just cracked up because, you know, the idea that, you know, two daughters, and they're in trouble, and go get dad, you know. But it was incredibly uh, and fulfilling for me to hear that. Just the, the sense of, you know, dads are always in our lives. I hope that's what my daughter thinks. Um, my parents are always in my lives. 
this sense of just comfort uh, that takes away the fear that it's going to be all right. And sure enough, you know, that kind of emboldened me, and I go down there and dad to the rescue, and, and it actually wasn't really bad at all. You know, the, the wheels had just gotten stuck in a ditch, and they didn't know it had a four-wheel drive on it, and I pushed the button, get it out, and it's no problem. And it didn't even have a problem. And, you know, and I'm feeling like the hero. But, uh, but, but somehow I'm trying desperately to get you to the, to the core of, of what, it, what Paul's trying to say here. That when we think of ourselves as sons and daughters, we, of God no less, this is the ultimate dad. I mean, these words that are used here are incredibly um, gentle and, and uh, affectionate words. This language of Abba, Father. I know you've probably, some of you maybe have heard this, but it really is. Just think of that most endearing word that your family uses for your granddad or, or for your dad. You know, is it poppy? Is it pops? Is it, you know, for me it was pops. I mean, that's, I know that's just, I don't even know where that comes from, but... But uh, my father called his father Pop, and, you know, and, and so whenever there was a kind of uh, jovial moment, even with my dad growing up, I'd kind of say, hey, Pop, you know, and, and so Pop was that word Abba for me. You know, dad is always dad, and he's always there. Now, you know, there, there's aspects of my father that wasn't a perfect dad, and there's aspects of my life that's not a perfect dad, which is so why we need to help our children even uh, find their dad in God ultimately, and I'm at best a conduit of his daddyhood, if I could say it that way. And, and I think that's really important, but that they see that, that when I serve them, when I act for them, that really I'm just, I'm just acting on behalf of the, of the true father, uh, the father who, who really did conceive of my son and daughter, uh, and who, who, who chose them from nothing to becoming a being. And so we are all in some sense as a creation an adopted son or daughter. It's not that we are divine by nature. We are chosen by God before even our conception in our parents' relationship, we're told in Psalms 139, we are chosen of God to be a kind of adopted son or daughter. You know, I heard another uh, fun story uh, not long ago uh, from a child who lives in a family, and this child is adopted and, and has two siblings who are not adopted. And the story is told me by a parent that, that this child, uh, they heard him talking one day, and, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really, the lu- I'm lucky, you know, or something like that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm better, I'm more important to my dad or mom than you kind of thing in a competitive way. And they go, what do you mean? Well, they didn't have any choice for you, but they chose me. And, you know, there's this kind of sense that we forget that. That Psalms 139 wants to remind us, and I encourage you to go home today and read it, and just think about that. That even at your creation, God, you didn't, you just didn't happen. God actually, and very carefully and fearfully, we're told, chose you. He adopted you. He, he selected you out of all the possibilities and said, I want this one. How would that change your relationship to your father in heaven, to know that? And that's what Paul's point is. It changes us to be a people that feel secure, a people who feel confident. Dad's always, I have an eternal, always present 
all the omnis, all-knowing, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful dad. I mean, he's the real deal. And therefore, I have no fear. Therefore, with that kind of dad, I can conquer anything. You see how this logic goes and how it will end? I can conquer anything. It's incredibly important to understand that. And so here he says that we are sons and, and, and by assumption, daughters, but he's concerned because, of course, we ran away. We ran away from home. We rejected our Father in heaven. That's what sin basically is, is to reject him. And therefore, we were delivered over to, to all the other fathers that we began to seek after. Fathers who were not so omni as our Father in heaven, who had promised things that they can't deliver, and who had self-interest in things that, that ultimately put us into bondage. This is the narrative of Scripture that we lost by our own willful desertion our identity as a son or daughter of God. And so look at what he says. We now became to God like a servant, not having that unique relationship with the Father in our rejection, though he is still the master of the world. And so we live like a slave under fear with no sense of entitlement anymore of God's love. And I say that word entitlement in a good sense here, that sense of, you know, I just never questioning that I belong to my Father. So we lose that sense of entitlement uh, in relationship to the owner of the earth. We, we, we got to earn it now, we think. And we got to do everything and be self-sufficient. You don't have that special relationship with God. We don't have that assurance that we would have knowing a father who's in control of everything. The assurance that my daughter and her friend had walking down that little dirt road that day that it's going to all work out because dad's going to come and help. We don't have that assurance about things working out anymore. Do you see how basic this is and how that can change your whole narrative of the whole way you live your life? Sonship gives assurance, that sense of entitlement by virtue of our relationship with the owner that, that God will never forsake us. He's my for God's sake. Notice how we have received the spirit of adoption and therefore this Abba Father, the Arabic for Daddy, or my word, Pop. Matthew 14, Abba Father, all things are possible to thee. Remove this cup from me, but not my will, thy will be done. It's the relationship of of the true son to the true father even using this word Abba as Christ used it when he prayed to his Father in heaven before his death, that we are now given by virtue of our union with Christ through faith to become part of that family. And so how does it change the way we live our life? Very briefly, let's look at the summary here. First of all, in chapter 8, verse 1, he talks about how there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Why, verse 3? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Our Father took care of our problem. That's what he's saying. He got that ATV out of the ditch for you. Because he's our Father. That's what 
a divine father does. How did he do this? By sending his own son in the likeness of our own sinful flesh, and yet upon him condemning our sin and all the repercussions of our sin, he endured our temptations. He endured all the the curses that, that our rejecting God brought upon ourselves in a way that could satisfy the justice of our Father and yet without condemning us in that justice. It's amazing, this transaction in the mystery of the union of the Trinity and how it's related to us. And so therefore we become no longer, we have this assurance, this security proven to us by the very ministry of Jesus Christ from the Father, that that God will not forsake us, that God loves us. And he desires, no matter what we have done, to be reunited. I mean, even an earthly father or mother understands what I'm talking about. You know, my children are gone, and we've gone through some situations with them, of course, and I can think of one particular situation that was quite significant in one of my children's lives, and but there was never a day, as much as we felt that, that, that this person had, um, well, kind of abandoned us, kind of uh, abused our, our giving in, in some ways and some things like that, there was absolutely never even a day that I even possibly could have considered not wishing him in my presence, not wanting to be restored with him. And in fact, God granted that prayer in a beautiful and powerful way and everything's great right now. But the point is, is, is that this assurance is the way you feel, you know, and some of the people sharing yesterday and, and the church said, well, how did you, you know, what, what do you think of? I had all the kids come up and I had a wonderful, wonderful time with, with the children and I asked them, I said, uh, you know, tell me, what, what is it like to be a child, you know, a, you know, what is it like to live in your family with your parents? What is it that you appreciate? What is it that you feel as, as a son or daughter? What do you appreciate about what they do? And they were saying things like, well, they give me food. And I said, yeah. They just take it for granted. Food's on the plate. It's going to come. You know, one kid said, you know, the, in a beautiful way, I just know that they always love me. They always love me. Just this assurance, this kind of entitlement even, a kind of, you know, I'm just entitled to this. I mean, I'm their, I'm their child. I have no, no thought whatsoever. And of course, I turned and I said, now I want you to think about the fact that your parents are also children. Have you ever thought about that? And they kind of looked at me, you know, and I said, we, we need to pray for your parents that they can remember that they're children too and they have all the same benefits from our Father in Heaven as, as you've just talked about. And, you know, you, that's the, the message I'm trying to convey here. Do you have that if you're an adult? Do you still understand, even as a parent, that you're also a child? That you have a father who sees you and loves you and cares for you? And it's not because of how good a parent you are. And it's not because of, I mean, I, you know, I, I think of my mom the other day. And, and um, when we come home and, you know, often we have family and all this stuff. And she loves my wife. She loves my children, you know, and course as a grandmom blah 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 but but every once in a while she kind of you know and I'm always trying to get my kids around them and particularly when I was growing up I'm wanting my children to have the benefit of their grandparents 
Uh, we didn't get to see them enough. They live in Atlanta. And so I'm always trying to get... And both my father and mother once in different times conveyed to me, and they're divorced, but, you know, son, I'd like just to see you sometimes. You know, I want, you know, I mean, it moves me to, to even say that. Doesn't it move you that there's somebody in the world that loves you, not because you're a father or mother or because you do such great things in your, in your work life, but they just, you know... I know you want me to see your kids, and I love your kids, but can we just go out and have lunch sometime together, my mom says. I said, sure. I did it just last week when I was in Atlanta. It's just those kinds of things that we forget that our Father in heaven feels for us. And so this is what Paul is saying. As he goes into this, you were once, a, as a child of the flesh, someone who did not have the Spirit, you were once outside of this family of God. And you were alienated from your true Father in heaven. But now you're not. And he calls it the spirit of adoption, which is interesting. And so in this sense, we now no longer fear. No matter what I've done, for the most part, my parents aren't perfect, and I'm sure yours aren't either. But I don't think I've ever questioned, no matter what I did, that my father and mother would still want me in their presence. And would still want me to... To, be, to, to flourish. Maybe you don't have that in your life. I know that some, some folks have grown up without that. And if not, that's where you need to rewrite the narrative. You need to go back and remind yourself through Scripture what Paul is reminding you. Not only you were created <clears throat> as to be a son and daughter of God by God's own election, but in Christ, he's restored you to that relationship so that you can know there's someone like that in your life. Wouldn't that change about everything that happens to you and how you deal with it? Notice this new motivation then. I mean, first of all, it changes the way we think of law. So, so it's true. Parents have rules. And, you know, if you love your parents and you know your parents love you, then you, the, the assumption is, at least until we get to that rebellious part of our lives, is that these rules are for my good, right? It changes the way... You see, when we were apart from God, Paul explains, we were, we were put in hostility against the law. The law was something, the rules were something that were judged us and condemned us and, and made us feel ashamed even in God's, if, if we were to even talk of God. Often it's interesting how when people begin to become rebellious, they run away from church. Why? Because they're feeling the shame of their lives or they're feeling the the guilt of their lives, and there is this sort of assumption somehow that, that God is going to be displeased with us. And while he is, in one sense, you could say, like a parent would be displeased about anything that I would do that's self-destructive. And he would be displeased with me doing that. But that's not the kind of displeasure that says, so get out of my life. Not at least if it's a true parent acting as behalf of God. You see what I'm saying? And so, so this idea is it changes the way we think of our rules, Paul says here. He says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's rules or laws. Indeed, he can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot, therefore, please God. That is, obey God. Why? Because the law in our life now is something that condemns us. The law in our life is something that makes us feel guilty and shamed. 
But when we believe in Jesus Christ and accept the gift of that restoration, reconciliation with our Father, all that changes. We're restored to the law. We now love the law. For it is a God who loves us, and we know that if it's a law or if it's a rule, then it's because it's going to make us live life more fully and better. It's a total relationship, different relationship with the laws. So we've got this total different identity. We've got this total, total different relationship to the law. And then notice also he talks about this idea of our inheritance. Verse 17. Think about the, the contrast for a minute. If you're a, if you're a son or daughter, uh, if, you're a, if you're a servant, what you do for a living, your work is working on someone else's lake house, if I can put it that way. I'm there helping the lake house, you know, painting the lake house and whatever I do. When you're a son or daughter, it's, it's working on your own lake house. <laughs> it's different. It's never going to be taken away from you. It's going to be in your life your whole life. It changes your relationship to the earth. It changes your relationship to your work. Because now we do the work of our father, knowing full well that that work is our inheritance and whatever part that all of us play in working that inheritance. It's, it's an interesting, this heirs to all the promises pertaining to the life, this abundant life that God has promised us, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so it changes totally our relationship to God, our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to the law, our relationship to our work, Are you getting the picture here? And how it changes how we live our lives. And finally, we we hear this adoption, verse 18 through 30, how it just changes everything about the way we live life, including how we suffer. It's very interesting, you know, if you really believe that your father has not abandoned you, and that he is a divine father who is sovereign over everything whatsoever that happens in your life, that he is in control of it all. I mean, you have to go back to your little preteen world to remember your dad or mom like that, don't you? Remember that, that, that feeling you had as a young child, you know, and mom and dad can do anything and everything? Well, there really is someone like that. And that is God. And if you really believe that, then it's going to change the way you, you embrace or the way you deal with bad things, isn't it? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be that, no, if, if God put this in my life, it's not a bad thing in a way that it's going to curse me. It's a hard thing in a way that it's going to better me or make me to be a person that can more fully embrace and experience the fullness of life. Um, again, in my metaphor, I think of my coach, who when he believed in me, would discipline me more. By that I mean train me more. Who would who would stay after practice when I was a, a tailback in football and, and, and work with me. I can remember this and say, you know, I, I want to I help you here. You know, when you come up, when you see a guy coming this way and you come this way, here's a little trick that, that you might want to consider. And he would show me how to do a little juke so that I can get around that guy. Now, what was happening there? I was suffering. I'm being made to stay after, after practice when everybody else is in the shower. You know, I'm tired and I'm, gonna, you know, I'm ready to go home and eat. But what's happening is a discipline of a coach who wants me to flourish in what I do. 
And it's just, it's just many metaphors like that that we can think about. And, how it, and that's what he says. Look what he says. Likewise, the Spirit, and what, whatever that bad thing is, it's not that God has abandoned us. Look what he says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You know, this word intercedes is not just that he prays for us. He interprets our prayers is what's really going on here. He takes these these problems that we have and he transforms them into a solution that results in my life being more abundant eventually. That's the context of this passage. This help that we have from God by the Spirit assisting us, coming alongside, if you will, and and carrying our burden as, as it would. And so all of this begins to shape or reshape our narrative in life. Who are we? How do we confront the world that we live in? Um, we know that for those who are, love, who are loving God, that's a participle, who are loving God, who are participating in the love of God, in this love relationship we have, we know, therefore, that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's really that big a deal that you in this room today understand that by faith in Christ, you're reconciled to your Father. Let me try to put it in this, this way. If, 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 we were to come, if I were to come to you like Jack, like uh, what Jack Miller, who created this whole ministry around adoption, he, he says it like this. Have you ever wanted a new life? How would you have answered that question? Yeah, I'd like a new life. He goes on to say, well, Jesus is your new Lord and master. That is, now no longer, you're giving a new Lord, a new master, he would say. Someone who's not like those other masters, your idols, who work you to the bones and promise you things that can't give you and all that kind of stuff that idolatry does. But you have a new Lord. Jesus gives you a new record of righteousness. We call that justification or imputed righteousness. You have now a new legal relationship to, to the Father. You're, you're right. You're not a sinner anymore. Jesus gives you a new heart through regeneration. So you've got a, a new master or Lord who is good. You have a new record with him where you're, you're, you're now no longer guilty. You have a new heart by the Holy Spirit and regeneration. But what if it stopped there? What if it stopped there? You, you thought you just heard the gospel, right? There it is. That's the gospel. Well, what he discovered in his missionaries, they were missionary, is they were dealing with burnout, anxiety, high stress, lack of perseverance, and loss of joy. You see, all those things are great, but something is horribly missing, he discovered. And here we discover the meaning of this incredible promise to all who believe in Christ, I will not leave you as orphans. And begins to speak of the Holy Spirit as Paul does. You see, Jesus gives you a new father and sonship. Jesus gives you a new community in the family of God. And notice how this changes everything. Let me ask you a couple of questions. I want you to sit here and do a little self-diagnosis. I'm going to give you a contrast between 
how it would be if we relate to God as a worker or servant versus as a child. A servant obeys compulsively. You force a servant to obey. Obeys God and moral codes out of fear of rejection, a compulsion, a driven moralism, drivenness in work, unrealistic goals, a lot of self-criticism. A child obeys out of the joy in your father and out of gratitude for the certainty of his love. How can I live so ungratefully to one who will never reject me? Total different motivation. Think about a servant hiding lots of strategies uh, to hide our inner and outer failings from ourselves and one another. Lots of gossip, blame shifting, anger at other races, classes, defensiveness, on it goes. Feeling this guilt, feeling this alienation, feeling this bitterness. Looking for ways to make myself look better to my own self. A child is now secure, right? Assured. And therefore, more open about their weakness and transparencies. And and they're more transparent. There's a freedom from having to put on a front. We're able to appreciate people who are different and hurting. Repentance to others is more natural and it's done with joy. Consider, again, yourself as a servant or slave, feeling isolated, feeling outside of the chosen ones, if you will, alienated from your father and from life, therefore, feeling that no one understands, that no one cares, an unwillingness to trust, an idolatrous trust, or, or rather, or maybe a, 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 or to a, put an idolatrous trust on someone else that is ultimately disappointing to you, looking for someone else to become your father. We do it all the time in our marriages, even in our children, an ironic kind of reversal. Whereas a child, because of openness and transparency and lack of self-absorption and self-pity, there's a growing circle of friends with whom you are neither too independent or dependent. As a slave, you're controlled by people's opinions and expectations and approval of others, becoming the real moral standard. When we get away from other Christians, we lapse. Whereas a child, there's integrity and courage regardless of who is watching. The only person whose opinion counts is my father who is in heaven. As a slave, there's despair in troubles. Sees troubles as paybacks from God for not doing a good enough job in life. A slave in trouble either is filled with God because you feel you deserve it or bitterness against God because you feel you deserve it. A slave, a child sees trouble as the wisdom of their father. You know God won't give you what you deserve. That's not what you're worried about, as in something bad, because you deserve a lot worse, and he already took that away. So therefore, whatever has happened to my life is good, and it's for a purpose. I could just go on and on. Think about the fact that in our confession, maybe you don't know this, but it's one of the few confessions that actually has a chapter on adoption, the Westminster Confession of Faith. And what's very interesting is where they put it. They were very intent about putting it in the order of salvation. We call it the order salutis. And so if you looked at our creed, it's, it, it, it follows the track of sort of the order of, of things, logically speaking, of how we experience salvation. Do you know where the doc, this, this chapter of adoption is put in the, that order? It's between justification and sanctification. Justification, how it is that we're made right with God in a kind of legal sense. 
sanctification, how we live according to God's holy law and, and please him. But in between that is adoption. I mean, think about how and why that is. How the fact of adoption that is between justification and sanctification changes in the way we think of sanctification. Again, it's a different relationship to the law, not a fearful of it as something that will condemn us, but now an embracing of it. It's a different relation to motives, from guilt to love. And you know what? The irony is, what is the law? It's summed up, we're told in Scripture, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, right? Well, think about it. Anything done out of guilt is not love. It's, it's selfish. I'm trying to relieve my conscience. I can't even love God until I'm relating to God as my Father whose perfect love cast out all fear so that now I love because he first loved me, the way a natural relationship with a parent is. I can never outlove my parent. Never. It's impossible. How does adoption change the way we relate to one another? Well, the best way I know to put it is you're stuck with me. There you go. That's kind of a harsh way to say it. Now think about that. You know, when I watch my three children interact with each other, and it's just so cool to watch. But there is this just total say anything I want to say, do anything I want to do around my brothers and sisters. Why? Because you're stuck with me. You're stuck with me for life. There's nothing that's going to ever come between us. You know, uh, you've heard it before, but, you know, I'll see my kids fight like cats and dogs sometimes, but if you come from outside that family and just even tap one of them on the shoulder in a bad way, I can assure you the wrath of the other two are coming on you. You see, there's something special about our relationship as a church. We're stuck with each other. We will always have each other in each other's lives, eternally. All the mess in this beautiful, sacred, ugly way, we're stuck with each other. It changes everything. Let me end with this exhortation from, again, Jack Miller. He, he wrote a poem about uh, this whole thing. And he says this, Two natures live within my breast. One is cursed, one is blessed. One I love, one I hate. The one I feed will dominate. Think about that. As we come to this table, we're being asked to feed upon the Father's love. If you are struggling to know and to experience the adoption life, someone who's chosen by God, someone who lives without fear of condemnation or rejection, someone who lives life to its fullest because there's no fear of this world and of life itself because God, my dad, is in control. Someone who, when they suffer, understands their suffering not as God's curse or rejection, but as God's love and discipline. Seeking then to know a faithful response to it, less even worrying about why. Because we already know why. Because he loves us. How are you going to feed that? How are you going to foster that? Well, there's only one way to do it. That's to partake of God's love. You receive that love by faith. Not, you don't work for it, just it's a gift. 
You say, I want it. That's it. Okay, you got it. Faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for that new adoption family that comes with it. But it goes beyond that. We have to continue to partake of the ways in which our Father feeds us and nurtures us and and protects us. And how does he do that? Through his word, through his sacraments, through his community of faith in the family of God. Prayer. I was stricken by this when I heard this. It was quoted uh, during the retreat in one of the talks. And I thought, you know, I've, I've been demonstrating a lot of characteristics in my life of being a servant. And I've been struggling a little bit to know why. And it dawned upon me, I've been feeding that other beast that's in my breast. You know who the other father is, don't you? The, Jesus said it, your father, the devil. There's only two ultimate fathers out there. And I've been feeding or being fed by the devil a little too much. Things that I'm watching on TV that makes me covet. I've been watching those house rehab movies. And I love them. They're fun. I love doing projects. But, you know, I've got to get off those things. I'm, I'm, I'm growing in discontentedness. I can feel it. You know, and on it goes. I need to feed upon Christ. And so I invite you to come to this table to consider what it is that Christ is doing at this table. Uniting you as, as to Christ, to the Father, through Christ to the Father, but also uniting you to each other. We have each other here. It's amazing. And so consider, two natures live within my heart, breast, one is cursed, one is blessed, one I love, one I hate, the one I feed will dominate. Let's come and partake.